HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This series is brought to you by the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. Hi, I'm Kiki Luya, and this is Shift Work by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation and Heritage Radio Network. Each episode, we bring you stories from the heart of the restaurant industry. I'll introduce you to leaders who are working to transform hospitality. You'll also hear from folks who are in the restaurant trenches to hear firsthand some of the challenges they face. This week, I'm talking to Leticia Landa, Deputy Director of La Cocina, a nonprofit kitchen incubator supporting food entrepreneurs in San Francisco. But first, meet Chef Alex Hernandez. Alex currently works with The Migrant Kitchen, a catering business that focuses on providing meaningful opportunities for immigrants to showcase the cuisines of their home countries. A portion of the organization's proceeds go to feeding New Yorkers in need. Chef Alex moved to the U.S. from El Salvador in 2013. I moved to U.S. in 2013. And then I, I crossed the world like so many migrants and then I started um, working at the kitchen at the same year, 2013. My first, I, I looking for job because I need a job to survive in, in this big city. And then, and then um, so I asked to the, to the guy, hey, I need a job and say, oh, okay. And what do you know? And then I say, uh, I can do the dishwasher. And the chef told me, oh, I don't have dishwasher position, but I have a line cook. And then I say, I never cook in my life. The chef told me, don't worry, don't worry. You can do it. You can do it. And he pushed me back. He pushed me, pushed me. And and then I, I'm very thankful with him because he always pushed me. He, he always told me, I, I trust you, Alex. And then I know you will be a really good chef very, very soon. Working at the migrant kitchen is a big difference because we make so many, so many uh, meals for people in New York City who need food. And then we're talking about uh, the, like the neighbor, they have no food in your, in your table and we make uh, a lot, uh, like like the migrant kitchen, we make around three million meal, and uh, and that's uh, that's make me like excited life in the in the life chef 
because we're doing something else and uh, and to to provide meal for these people who need it in your city. Leticia Landa learned about La Cocina while studying anthropology at Harvard and joined the nonprofit as its third staffer. Now deputy director of La Cocina, she has worn almost every hat at the organization, writing grants, developing the incubator program, working with more than 100 business owners, managing volunteers, and consulting with other incubators. She's also the co-author of We Are La Cocina, a cookbook published by Chronicle Books in 2019. Leticia, welcome to Shift Work. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Um, so my understanding is that you're the daughter of Mexican immigrants, right, um, who moved to the U.S. and started a business. I am, yeah. And, you know, I think certainly my background and seeing what business ownership and entrepreneurship did for me and my sisters and our family is a big part of the reason why I was so inspired by La Cocina's work and really excited to join the organization and what has kept me there for 13 years. Amazing. Yeah, I'm also the daughter um, of an immigrant from uh, uh, DR Congo. Um, and I'm just really curious, how does your upbringing or how would you say your upbringing informs your work at La Cocina and maybe even what does it teach you? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think um, all of us who grow up with parents who are foreign, I think that you see the world in a in a unique way. You realize how many different ways there are to eat to, you know, um, like meals, traditions, uh, customs, and, you know, just even like approaches to problem solving. I think that, you know, when you are, you sort of feel out of place in some ways, you also become like more attuned to all of the different ways there are to, to be. And so I think for me, you know, that feeling both of, of, feeling sometimes a little bit out of place, but also, you know, being welcomed um, and being, um, you know, figuring out how to speak English and, you know, uh, be, you know, a kid in school and like figuring out that like, if you're eating a quesadilla and someone else is eating a sandwich, it's all good. <laughs> those moments and those, uh, you know, those situations as a kid, I think, just have always made me realize like how important it is to to keep pushing for people being able to to access opportunities and people being able to access, you know, resources, even if they don't speak English very well, even if, you know, they haven't been here long enough to understand all of the different like permits and regulations and, and things that you might need to start a business, for example. So mm. I feel like that, you know, just that the sometimes the feeling of being lost that you have when you um when your family has come from a different place or speaks a different language is a feeling that i you know really can connect with and relate to that a lot of our entrepreneurs feel <laughs> as right. they're trying to navigate starting businesses and um and so i think that's that's maybe that is the the piece of the work that i find really interesting and really personal and that makes me you know excited to to keep doing it Absolutely. 
I, you know, for people who are not as familiar with the work of La Cocina, uh, you know, your work with entrepreneurs and informal businesses, essentially you help them grow into sustainable legal businesses. Um, but can you talk a bit more about who your community is um, and what does your training really entail? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, La Cocina was really born out of an existing need, which is that there are so many women, <laughs> immigrant women, um, American women, like women of color in particular, but really, you know, who know how to cook, love to cook and are able to use that skill and the kitchen that they have in their house to make money, whether it be making cakes for friends' birthdays, whether it be making tamales over the holidays and, you know, selling them to, to the friends and family or, you know, setting up at like a BART station, <laughs> uh, yeah. Mission and 24th Street and, you know, with a cooler full of tamales and selling them to people who are coming out, um, at, you know, as they're commuting. That kind of informal food economy exists everywhere and particularly in, you know, urban centers and particularly in areas where there are a lot of um, people of color, a lot of immigrants. And so La Cocina was born in the Mission District in San Francisco out of, you know, a number of different community organizations that were doing economic development work and really noticing how many people were already, you know, operating small businesses. They were already entrepreneurial. They already had these products and this talent. But why couldn't they, you know, open restaurants or why couldn't they, you know, get like a, a food truck, like a, a permit at a farmer's market or, you know, all of the different ways that exist to sell food. And really, the answer was complicated. But part of it was that there, you know, in order to have a formal food business and to get all of those permits and license and permissions to sell, you have to be working out of a commercial kitchen space. Yeah. And they're very expensive to rent typically. And so the idea for La Cocina was to build an affordable commercial kitchen space, a community kitchen space that people could use to make their products, not at home, but in, you know, like a commercial space and then be able to sell them and, and hopefully, you know, be more profitable. But, you know, it's not just about the kitchen. You also have to navigate, like I said, you know, like there's so, there's so much. And if English isn't, you know, your first or second or third language, trying to figure out how to pull a permit with the Department of Public Health is really complex, um, you know, and we don't make business ownership particularly easy. <laughs> you have to have, you know, a business license. You have to have, uh, you know, a permit with DPH in San Francisco. You have to have a catering permit. If you want to sell at a farmer's market and have any kind of cooking equipment, you need a permit with the fire department. So, you know, it quickly was realized that, you know, yes, you need a kitchen space, but also you need kind of navigation through all of this complicated world of what it means to start a formal food business, you know, and to be able to be competitive in a landscape where there's a lot of people who have a lot of money who are able to start businesses and they have beautiful websites and food photography and really nice logos and, you know, they're um, advertising on, you know, Instagram or Facebook or, you know, and, and all of those different pieces because of systemic racism and gender inequality and, you know, just all of the different reasons why people are left out of the formal economy, you know, all of those things are, are difficult to access. And so La Cocina was really created as an incubation program to be able to 
provide these super talented entrepreneurs who had incredible products, who were already selling, but who were missing those pieces. And to be able to provide them with the, you know, the, the specific kind of assistance, either through volunteers or through our own staff, to be able to, to really grow those businesses and to get to a place where, you know, it's not just a little money that you're making on the side or, you know, in the holiday season or during the wedding season when you're making lots of cakes, but that it can really be an income for the business owner and then, you know, for their families. And then as that business grows, also create jobs in the community. You know, and a little bit about what our community looks like. I mean, we've always been a women's organization. We've been a Latina women's organization in the sense that we were started in the mission. Our program is entirely bilingual, Spanish, English, but we've also really wanted to be a reflection of what San Francisco is and what the Bay Area is, which means that, you know, from day one, there were, you know, immigrants from all different parts of the world, um, American born, you know, black chefs, there were white chefs, there were some men. So we have a really diverse program. And I think that that's really um, intentional and and, you know, because we 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 know that these barriers exist um, to, to anyone who is low income. Absolutely. You know, I mean, truthfully, navigating the permitting process, even as a native English speaker, is a complete nightmare. <laughs> so so, um, you know, I it's I, it's wonderful to hear you talk about the work of La Cocina and to really hear how, you know, it's, there's so many layers, right, to opening up a, a legal, successful, you know, business. Um, and, you know, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, what maybe your training would entail, but when someone graduates, right, from La Cocina, what does that mean for the individual, um, as well as like the wider community, what is their next step? Um, and in, you know, if there's an example you can give, I'd, I'd love to hear it. I have one of my own, I think from La Cocina, but I'll let you go. <laughs> yeah, of course. So our program, you know, it, it's an incubation program, but I think it's fairly unique in that it's very long. If they're right for the program, then they get started in what we call pre-incubation, which is about six months of really getting all the nuts and bolts in order, you know, get pulling those permits, getting the business name, you know, doing logo design, you know, all of the kind of the pieces to get launched. And so then, you know, the business really launches in a formal way into what we call incubation. And that might be, you know, with catering um, at a farmer's market, you know, uh, really just trying to build sales. And incubation can last anywhere from, you know, three to five years. On average, people are in La Cocina's program for five and a half years. And so, you know, that whole time we're really focused on accessing sales alongside the entrepreneurs. Some of those sales we create as La Cocina. So, you know, we have gift boxes that we sell online. Um, We also, you know, people can uh, ask for catering through our website and we'll connect them with entrepreneurs who are in our program. And, you know, that the whole focus of incubation is to grow the the cash flow and sales of the business and the customer base of the business to the point where they can graduate. And graduation looks different for everybody, depending on what kind of business they have. For example, I'll, I'll use um, Isabel Calillo, who's the owner of El Buen Comer. She, you know, was basically, you know, running a restaurant out of her home. <laughs> so, you know, opening up her living room, friends and family, people in the neighborhood, you know, knew she was the best cook around. They would come by, they would pay. She would give them, you know, the days guisado, rice beans, some tortillas. And um, and then, you know, that reputation grew. She came to La Cocina. 
Um, she was in our program. She sold at the Noe Valley Farmers Market, did a lot of catering, and then she graduated into her restaurant space, um, which is on Mission Street. And, you know, at graduation, there's so many more things to figure out, you know, so we work really closely with people in terms of figuring out like their POS system and who they're going to be ordering from. Isabel is, is I think, a wonderful example of, of how our program works. And, you know, she before the pandemic, kind of like at the height of her restaurant, you know, I think she had something like nine or 10 staff members, um, you know, cooks and waiters and, and, um, people who she, you know, was creating work for, uh, in addition to her own family. So her husband, you know, was working in the business and her sons. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful restaurant. It's like a gathering place. I've watched a lot of soccer games there, um, eaten a lot of chilaquiles. And, you know, it's really become like a, a really, you know, well-known and well-loved um, spot in that community. You'd mentioned really early on in the call about some of the barriers that students at La Cocina have to overcome, um, just given, you know, very particular circumstances. But, you know, another barrier, a more recent barrier, I think that, um, you know, business owners, restaurant owners have had to deal with is COVID. Um, and I'm really curious you know, how the challenges of COVID um, perhaps were experienced by graduates of La Cocina um, and, you know, or, or and were they exacerbated at all? Yeah, gosh, definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I feel like the food industry has been so hard hit. And then, you know, when you look at the data in terms of how COVID has affected communities of color, it's brutal. When the pandemic first started, we pretty early on realized that it was going to be a really intense time for the entrepreneurs. And so we really shifted our programming almost entirely um, in like March of 2020. And we shifted away from business incubation, um, really to like business survival. And so we ended up putting our program on hold. We didn't have any new cohorts join us. Um, I'm actually excited because in 2022, we'll be doing, you know, application rounds again and, and letting new entrepreneurs in. But, you know, over the course of the pandemic, so for the last couple of years, we really decided let's just focus on the community that we already have and on the businesses that we're already working with and do our very best to help them survive and, you know, whatever that might look like for them. Right. And so for certain businesses with brick and mortar spaces, it did mean, you know, letting go of those brick and mortar spaces, um, sometimes because leases were up, sometimes just because it didn't make financial sense anymore. Um, but, you know, to be able to continue to cook out of our shared use kitchen and to do the catering jobs that were, you know, possible and to, you know, do a lot of the um, food insecurity programs that arose during the pandemic, like through World Central Kitchen and different programs that um, city and uh, local governments did for, you know, um, people who are formerly homeless and living in hotels for elderly people who are homebound. So a lot of our businesses were able to take advantage of those um, kinds of opportunities. We also, you know, we did quite a bit of fundraising. So we raised almost a million dollars from just like the incredible generosity of our, 
you know, community. And we're able to disperse that directly to our entrepreneurs, just like as a form of payment so that they could pay their home rent and, you know, um, buy groceries and do all the things that they're normally able to do because they're running their businesses. So I feel like that was like another really key thing that we were able to do is just, you know, provide people with some income and then, and then really advocate, you know, and, and really push for rent relief. I do feel like if you had a lot of money going into the pandemic, it was slightly easier, but honestly, like every food business, even the ones that were incredibly well-backed has been struggling. And so if you imagine a food business that was started by someone who had less than $5,000, you know, that the struggle is even worse, right? Is, is even deeper. And so it, it, it is, it has been a really tough time. I think that the, the things that I would highlight are sort of like the generosity of the community, the ways in which people, you know, found ways to support small businesses, either like through some food boxes or, you know, getting takeout and, you know, wanting to keep those businesses alive. And I feel really proud that all of our businesses made it through the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. Something to be incredibly proud of, you know, and I guess through all of this work, um, that you've been doing over the last few years. Um, and I think we have time for one last question. So I, I would be remiss if I don't mention um, La Cocina's Municipal Marketplace, um, which is America's first women-led food hall. Um, first of all, congratulations. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, on that project. That's so incredible. I, I would love to maybe end with, uh, just tell us about the project and um and maybe more importantly, how it could potentially be a model for empowering women and immigrant um, business owners as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we dreamed the municipal marketplace up way before COVID started <laughs> and then had the unlucky, um, you know, timing of opening it in the midst of the pandemic. But really the, the marketplace is a result of basically our access to markets work. So what I was talking about in terms of, you know, when um, businesses are in our program, a big thing we try to do is provide them with access to sales. So, you know, it's hard to get into farmers markets. It's hard to get onto grocery store shelves and it's, even harder for women. It's harder for immigrants. It's harder for women of color. And so, you know, to really try to push, push against that, you know, that's kind of been our, um, what we've done for so long. And it, it's hard to find spaces to graduate into. You know, I, I spoke about Isabel and, you know, Isabel has an incredible landlord, um, a woman who, you know, lives locally, who owns the space, who really wanted to put a local business into that space. And, you know, that's like a really special, unique thing when opportunities like that happen. A lot of real estate is owned by, you know, random enormous corporations with their headquarters, like in Chicago. And, you know, it can be really hard as like a small, you know, first time entrepreneur to be able to get leases. And what we wanted to do was to build a space that was really a model for inclusive economic development that really allowed for um, small businesses owned by women of color to thrive. And, you know, to do that in a neighborhood that is the, you know, the neighborhood in San Francisco that has the most children, um, where the most restaurant workers live, you know, that's really, you know, a, a number of our entrepreneurs live in the area. One of the entrepreneurs that's in the space, Guadalupe from Mimorenet, 
lives around the block. So, you know, to really be focused on a community serving um, food space and to to be able to use it as um, as an example of what these kinds of entrepreneurs can do, um, the kinds of opportunities that they deserve. And, you know, if a city can invest in these kinds of spaces, what, you know, what wonderful spaces you can make. And so it's been an experiment so far, you know, because we haven't really been able to fully, fully open but we did have, you know, some months there in between, you know, variants and stuff where we were able to open for indoor dining. And it's just an, an incredible space. And, you know, all of the entrepreneurs are making such incredible food. I mean, you know, we've gotten like so many like best new restaurant awards. And it's, you know, I think to me, just like a testament of what we knew all along, which is that, you know, these are the best chefs and, and it's the best food, but they just rarely get a chance to open in such like high profile kind of like, you know, near downtown kind of spaces. And so we just really wanted to change that. I love it. It is, it's so incredible. Um, absolutely best of luck with that project. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Continue to grow. Um, we are going to take a short break and come back with a few rapid fire questions. If you don't mind staying on with me for a little bit longer, um, we'll be back with more shift work after a short break. This series is brought to you by the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. We are a nationwide community dedicated to making the restaurant industry more hospitable for everyone. By addressing quality of life issues that disproportionately affect restaurant workers, 40% of whom live on poverty level wages, we hope to strengthen the workforce and increase opportunity for advancement in the industry to more people. The restaurant industry is notorious for low wages poor job mobility, high turnover, and burnout. But it doesn't have to be that way. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to learn more about what we're doing to make change and join us. Welcome back to Shift Work. On this episode, we've been focusing on the experiences of immigrants in the hospitality industry. We'll get back to my conversation with Leticia Landa shortly. First, John DeBerry, RWCF's co-founder and board president, has some resources to share. Hi, I'm John DeBerry, co-founder of Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. Did you know that even though they make up 13% of the U.S. population, immigrants own more than a third of independent hospitality businesses? One in three food service workers are foreign-born, and at least 10% of the industry's 15 million strong workforce is made up of undocumented workers, none of whom had access to unemployment benefits during the pandemic. In other words, the American restaurant industry can't function without immigrants. And because it's the second largest private sector employer in the country, these issues that plague hospitality, low wages, harassment, or access to healthcare and small business loans have an outsized impact on the immigrant community. You can show solidarity by supporting restaurants that pay fair wages, provide insurance, and support their local communities. Leticia, are you ready for some rapid fire industry questions? I am ready. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, first question is, What's one step for someone who wants to open a legal food business on a budget? I would say get as much practice as possible with friends and family before, you know, diving in, you know, get people to order from you and deliver it to them and see how it goes, because that is invaluable as you're getting started. Oh, excellent. Um, question two, you are focused in San Francisco. But who are your peers elsewhere in the U.S.? 
There is a hot bread kitchen in New York City that does some business incubation. There's uh, really incredible um, programs near us here in Sacramento. Uh, Alchemy Kitchen does business incubation there. And then there's also um, an incubator in Stockton called um, Bella Vista. And um, I'm currently working with an organization in Fresno uh, to get a, a business incubator started there. So there's definitely a lot of interest in this kind of work. And there are some big, there's some really big ones like Chobani runs an incubator for packaged food uh, businesses out of New York City. And there's a, a big, you know, um, kitchen at Rutgers in New Jersey. But, you know, in terms of sort of a community based, so those are some of the ones that I know, at least that are around here in California. What's your favorite recipe to cook from We Are La Cocina? Oh my gosh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> um, I love them all. You know, lately I have really been, I think like everyone in the world, <laughs> craving comfort. And I mentioned Isabel earlier, her family, um, she's from Mexico City, which is where my family is from. And so her albondigas, which is like a kind of a soupy meatball uh, with like a tomato chipotle sauce, is definitely on regular rotation at my house because it just reminds me so much of home. My mom made albondigas for us a lot when we were kids. And so it's like winter time and it's, uh, they're delicious. So that's my current favorite, but it, it varies. <laughs> you know, I, I own, um, the, we are La Cocina, uh, cookbook and I haven't cooked from it in a while, but I do actually remember that recipe and I need to break it out now. <laughs> You're yeah, inspiring totally. me. You're inspiring. Um, your go-to order at La Cocina Municipal Marketplace. Oh, another impossible question. <laughs> um, I try to vary it up every time I go um, because everything is so good. But I, since I mentioned Guadalupe from Mi Morena, I my go-to from her are her fish tacos. They're just so delicious, and I get them with an agua fresca, and it is just like a perfect lunch. Amazing. Okay, last question, um, and this is this is a you know a, a a big one, I'd say. What's your most? What are you most excited about for twenty twenty two? Gosh, um, I just I think I'm really excited for all of our entrepreneurs and our staff to hopefully, fingers crossed, how this pandemic all keeps playing out, just be able to be in community again, in person. We got little glimpses, you know, we did a community dinner um, at the beginning of December at, in the marketplace. And I saw so many people who I had only seen on Zoom, you know, for such a long time. And it just like having meals together, you know, sharing experiences between the entrepreneurs, you know, being able to just sort of like be in community like that is something that I've really, really missed. And I really am hopeful that in 2022, we'll be able, um, you know, to do that again safely and to, you know, to gather and to share meals and to learn from each other in that kind of informal way that I think is is really hard to get um, over over Zoom. So that's what I'm most excited for. You and I both. <laughs> and everyone, and right? Everyone. Yeah, we are all craving yeah. that, um, you know, that yeah. in person again. Leticia, thank you so much for joining us today on Shift Work. It has been such a pleasure um, to learn more about um, La Cocina and then also just about, you know, your work with the organization and um, how inspiring it truly is. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful. 
No, thank you. Thanks, Kiki. I really, um, it's wonderful to be invited to talk about these things. It's been a rough couple of years, but I just, I so appreciate the support. I think that, you know, we've really made it through because of the interest in and support of small businesses owned by women of color. So it just means a lot. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Shift Work. To learn more about RWCF's work and donate to the cause, visit www.restaurantworkerscf.org. Thanks for joining us on the podcast and in the work as we bring you stories from the heart of the restaurant industry. Links to the organizations and resources mentioned in this episode can be found in our show notes. I'm your host, Kiki Luya. Our engineer is Liam Warner, and the show is produced by Hannah Forden and Caroline Hatchett. Shift Work is produced in collaboration with Heritage Radio Network, America's pioneer food podcast network. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.